today on Ag News Daily. But the main thing that needs to be understood about this program is it has to be an additional practice. It can't be what you were doing before. Listeners, April 4th, 2023, Tuesday. Edition of the Agnew Daily Podcast, Tanner and Delaney here to chat with you just a little bit about the latest headlines and bring a great conversation to your ears today. Right, Delaney? Absolutely, Tanner. That's it? That's all you got? Absolutely. I don't know. I, I, I didn't think of anything creative to respond to or <laughs> sassy, so that's all I got for you. Well, I got you all scared. We were talking about weather here before we started recording, and gosh, we have a lot of weather headed this way. Seems like Eric's Eric Snodgrass's forecast of a couple of Pacific storms brewing that were going to come across the U.S. is holding true. We've got everything on the docket today for weather. We've got blizzard warnings in effect for the northern plains, and we've got a wide stretch of uh, land in from southwestern Iowa to Arizona that might be getting some severe weather. So we're looking here now. If you talk about the blizzard side of things, North Dakota could see up to 17 inches of snow with wind gusts of up to 55 miles per hour. Northern part of Nebraska and South Dakota could see six to 12 inches. That high wind red flag warning is still in effect in the Southern Plains. Oklahoma and Texas panhandles will be looking at gusts up to 70 miles per hour. Strong winds are likely also in Kansas that would uh, potentially push some fire dangers our way as well. But then we've got a chance for some severe thunderstorms here in Iowa and throughout most of the Midwest, pushing towards the East Coast, looking for uh, potential for tornadoes, heavy rain, a band of hail. So, gosh, it just seems like from border to border, Delaney, that we've got a lot of severe weather opportunity. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was coming down the pipeline for us today, but that's certainly not ideal when you're trying to do outdoor workouts, Tanner. That's correct. uh, You certainly would want to walk into the wind to begin with. So the second half of your exercise can be with the wind at your back. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And that again calls into question something you brought up yesterday, which is those prevent plant acres. Are we going to see some of those, especially up in the Dakotas where, like you said, major winter storms are expected to roll through? And I read estimates that said it could be two to three feet of snow for South Dakota, North Dakota and parts of Minnesota this week. Yeah, that's plenty. That is plenty. I certainly agree with that. And we're also seeing some uh, winter frost in parts of uh, Arkansas and some of the southern plains. And that has started to kill off a few acres here and there of some early planted crops. But we also got the USDA's weekly crop progress report for winter wheat conditions. And all in all, winter wheat conditions were rated 28% good to excellent in the USDA's first crop progress report of the season. They said severe drought conditions plaguing the Southern Plains were reflected in this week's first report. Uh, Typically this time of year, we start out at about 30% good to excellent. And that's where we were at this time last year for the first report. So right now we're at 28%. So we're starting things off here a little uh, dry compared to normal. But maybe some of these winter storms will help add some moisture to some of those winter wheat areas that could drastically use some wet weather, Tanner. 
Yeah, that uh, planting progress report, obviously very early, but on the corn side of things, has us pretty much in pace with where we've been. Kansas has 1% planted. They're a little bit ahead, uh, or they're right on pace. Kentucky's got 2%, which is ahead of the average. North Carolina is slightly behind with only 1%. Tennessee farmers have 1%, and Texas has 5% of their state's crop planted. But you're right, we've got uh, friends with Extreme Ag down in the Arkansas area reporting beans getting frosted off due to their colder than average weather temperatures. And uh, he's hoping that the corn will go through and not be a complete loss as most of the growth points were still below the surface on that side of things. But we'll continue to keep an eye on those reports. We'll bring those to you each Tuesday here throughout the planting season. I also wanted to give an update. Biden did make a announcement yesterday after uh, the announcement from OPEC, stating that he plans to double down on his push for an economy-wide transition to clean fuel sources. The Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, announced their massive oil cuts yesterday. The White House issued a joint statement with the European Union to reaffirm their clean energy adoption. The US-EU task force stated that energy security is important to them, after Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year, it become even more to the forefront of their discussions. So going to continue to push forward to this. But a lot of scrutiny has come from the U.S. not having as significant reserves as they've had in the past for Biden to be able to turn to in order to keep gas prices from ticking up. So we'll continue to watch this war on energy, as dubbed yesterday, to see if uh, we can maintain prices where we're at rather than see them increase. You know, OPEC stated that they announced their production cuts of nearly 1.16 million barrels per day. In addition, the Russian uh, government announced production cut of 500,000 barrels per day last month. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But it looks like the White House is trying to find a solution quickly. Let's in our quick update on the soy dollar that I reported on yesterday. It is officially launching, I believe, next Wednesday. And this is a little bit slower than what uh, officials had hoped to launch. But the soy dollar, as we shared a little bit yesterday, plans to increase sales and exports of specifically soybeans and ag commodities and their derivatives by offering producers an exchange rate higher than the official rate of 210 pesos per dollar. So we kind of have now three different currency rates with the official rate, the soy dollar, and the black market rate as well. But a source close to the economy ministry said that this will go into effect, I'm sorry, next Monday, not next Wednesday. And Argentina's government is hoping that this new policy will spur about $15 billion in soy exports between the second and third quarter. They said they're already one of the top exporters of soy meal and soy oil in the country. And they're hoping, or excuse me, in the world, and they're hoping that the soy dollar really helps to spike the influx of foreign currency to the cash-strapped central bank, and that it will help agricultural and more specifically soy exports moving forward, Tanner. Yeah, uh, I didn't expect it to launch as soon as it did based upon what you reported last week or yesterday. Uh, But yes, certainly another deadline that we're looking at in the ag industry is a deadline put on the EPA to review the 
concentrated animal feeding operations, water quality standards, water pollution standards. CAFOs may face tougher water standards after August 15th, August 22nd, I'm sorry. They are uh, stating here the EPA is looking at responding to lawsuits sued by the Food and Water Watch, as well as 10 other environmental groups in 2022, stating that they had not approved additional standards under the 2017 petition that was filed. In January of 2023, the agency announced they plan to conduct the CAFO water pollution study to determine ways of strengthening the Clean Water Act and limit guidelines related around CAFO construction. So in response to this lawsuit, they have now appointed August 22nd, 2023. The APA is stating that August 15th is their internal deadline to respond to the environmental groups. And that would be in conjunction with an agreement from them to drop the loose lawsuit by August 29th. So August will be a busy month for the EPA with a formal deadline of the 22nd, an internal deadline of the 15th. And if they meet those deadlines, they're asking for these groups to drop their lawsuits. So they will continue to monitor this process and look at ways to attempt to uh, provide agriculture stormwater exemptions in the Clean Water Act, but still permit or prevent CAFOs from evading permitting requirements. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this. The Clean Water Act has been in effect for more than 50 years. The EPA estimates around 30% of the largest animal feeding operations in the United States are regulated under this, and they will continue to regulate them in the future. And I believe I have just uh, two other quick headlines here related to South America, and that is Brazilian production and exports. Stonex has officially raised their Brazilian soybean crop estimate by 3 million metric tons to a record 157.7 million metric tons. The firm also expects Brazil's exports to grow to 96 million metric tons of soybeans in the 22-23 season. As far as the corn side of the balance sheet, Stonex increased its first, or excuse me, increased their Brazilian corn crop forecast, which is the Safrina crop here, second crop, to 131.3 million metric tons, up 740 metric tons from last month. And this increase came amid a bigger crop estimate. We also have official word that this increase in exports is starting to be confirmed as Brazil exported 13.27 million metric tons of soybeans last month, up 155% Tanner from February as their new crop supplies have started to come online. March soybean exports topped year ago levels by about 9%. And that certainly has pushed things here in the United States to potentially slow down a little bit as we're now competing with Brazil, whereas we don't have a ton of available supply. But one thing it sounds like we're competing with on a really strong level still is corn exports. Brazil corn exports actually slowed last month. And while we're looking at the U.S. balance sheet, we continue to see China and other countries stepping in and buying U.S. corn, which has obviously been somewhat favorable for commodity markets. But all in all, that's kind of where the dynamic is at for the global supply and demand front. Yeah, that's uh, uh, interesting to see where we are continuing to compete. Case 
New Holland is looking to continue to compete in the realm of precision management. So CNH Industrial announced their plan to acquire Hemisphere, GNSS, which is currently owned by Unistrong. That is a company that's incorporated within China. Hemisphere, GNSS, will be part of CNH Industrial's Precision and Navigation Technologies Division. The acquisition will be $175 million and is projected to close in the third quarter. This move enhances their automation and autonomy tech and stacks their ability to broaden their talent pool as far as recruiting data scientists. This RNSS is a global navigational satellite system which provides a series of solutions that pinpoint accuracy technology that allows businesses in agriculture, construction, mining, and marine industries to have a very clear connection to where their location is at at all times. Hemisphere builds application-specific circuit chips, circuit boards, and radio frequency signal processing equipment, as well as writes algorithms to use satellite-based corrections. So this news is announced that they will acquire Hemisphere and will continue to operate as a standalone business with the operation locations in China, US, Canada, and Australia. So the acquiring portion there will not bring them in underneath the umbrella. And besides ownership, they will continue to run and operate as independents and share their technology advancements. So this looks like a huge step forward for CNH to continue their, pers their pursuit of precision technology. But that's the last piece of news I've got for today. Fantastic, Tanner. Well, what do you say we hop in here and take a look at the markets before we head into opening session? Well, let's look at it. Well, it's not looking so good today. Uh, we're starting to see corn and soybeans give up some of their losses that they added on the board after la last week's prospective plantings report. And I think we gave up pretty much all of yesterday's gains in the soybean complex. Today, March corn is closing, or excuse me, is opening eight and a quarter cent lower at eight at 649 and a half. December new crop corn is opening six and three quarters cents lower at 560 and three quarters. In the May soybean pits today, trading lower seven and three quarters cents to open at five excuse me, at 15, 14 and a quarter. November new crop soybeans down 12 and three quarters to open at 13, 20. In the hard red winter wheat contract here today, only markets really trading to the upside in the overnight as the May contract added five and a half cents at 8.80 and three quarters. And let's take a quick look at where livestock closed yesterday and we'll open here again this morning. June live cattle were down 90 cents yesterday. We'll open at a buck 61, 22 and a half. May feeders down $2.10 to open at 203.15. And May lean hogs will open here this morning at 84.37 and a half. Tanner? Today's interview, we are chatting with Sarah Dudley to talk about biosustainability, biologicals, and their new carbon program. So let's get over to that conversation Jennifer had for us. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out FastLine.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put FastLine's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. FastLine Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. 
listeners, I'm sure you all know carbon is a very popular topic in all areas of agriculture and the world at the moment. And with me right now is Sarah Dudley with New Century FS. Sarah, could you introduce yourself a little further and what you do with New Century? I am located with New Century FS, which is a co-op in East Central Iowa, and my title at New Century FS is the Biological and Sustainability Specialist, and in this role, I focus on biological products that could enhance yields, and also on the sustainability side, which includes your carbon credits, and with that, I'm going out to growers and explaining what the carbon market is and how they could qualify to be in a carbon credit program. Perfect. So diving right into that, could you explain more what carbon credits are before we get into how farmers can qualify? So a carbon credit is equivalent to one ton of carbon removed from the atmosphere. So in order for a grower to get a carbon credit to then sell, they must reduce emissions of greenhouse gases and sequester more carbon in their soil in order to get paid for a carbon credit. Perfect. So then I'm guessing farmers need to create carbon credits um, through working with you and you kind of help them figure out how they can make those carbon credits. What are ways that farmers can do that? So right now, New Century has partnered with a program called Indigo Ag, and we are using their carbon credit program. There are several carbon credit programs out there, and they all have different rules, different ways to create carbon credits. So I'm going to just be talking about the way you can do it through Indigo Ag's program and New Century. So to qualify for a carbon credit program and to create carbon credits, the grower must add an additional practice to their farm to sequester carbon. So what happens is we develop a baseline for your farm. We will go in and insert four years of historical data to develop how much carbon does your farm usually sequester. Then you will add an additional practice on your farm. That can be no-till, reduced till, cover crops, improving your nitrogen management, increasing biodiversity. Those are all great ways to increase your carbon sequestration. But the main thing that needs to be understood about this program is it has to be an additional practice. It can't be what you were doing before. So unfortunately for those growers that have been doing it for a long time, this program is not designed for them. It's more for the proactive farmers that are trying to get into a program today and trying to incorporate more sustainable practices on their farms. Absolutely. And then you said that one carbon credit is equivalent to taking one metric ton of carbon out of the atmosphere. How do you measure that with adding a new um, practice to the farm? Yes, so one ton of carbon is one carbon credit. To measure that, Indigo Ag has a model that they use, and in order to determine how much carbon your farm is making, that's why we need the specific farm historical data. And then we put whatever you decided to do. Say you decided this year I'm going to do a cover crop. Then we would insert what cover crop you're doing, if you're doing a grass or a legume or a mix, and then decide how much did you put on per acre. And then you put that into the model to determine how much you're sequestering. They also need dates like when did you plant this cover crop, when did you terminate it, just stuff like that so they can get an accurate representation of how much you sequestered by using their model. And then once it goes through that model, a carbon credit is developed 
on a per acre basis, and then that gets verified by a third-party company through Indigo Ag to say, yes, this carbon credit is real, and companies over everywhere can buy them. How do farmers know if this is going to be the right program for them, if adding um, new programs or new forms of sequestering carbon to their practices is going to end up being practical and economical for them in the end? Yeah, that's a great question. So at New Century FS, we recommend programs that will help your farm. You don't, I don't want to recommend this program to someone who has never done it before and just wants to do this because they think it's going to be a huge moneymaker. By no means is it the biggest moneymaker. But if you're planning on incorporating those practices and you are going to do them anyways, this program is perfect for you. It's a little cherry on top of what you were already going to get. And this program can be um, mashed with other government programs like EQIP. The only thing that you can't do with this carbon credit program is enroll in two carbon credit programs and get paid by two different companies for your carbon credits. Okay. So, so yes, I would rec highly recommend it to anyone who is thinking about reducing their tillage, thinking about adding a cover crop, and was going to do it on their farm. If they have livestock, if they have infiltration issues and they were already going to do these practices, mm -hmm. it's great to introduce this program to growers because this is a great benefit for them on top of already what they were going to do. Perfect. So then going towards more of the company look out at carbon credits rather than just um, farmers benefiting, how do the companies benefit from these carbon credits? The carbon market works as several companies all over the United States are working to become carbon neutral. So you hear all these claims from big companies like Amazon, we're going to be carbon neutral by this date, or by Ford, JP Morgan, we're going to be carbon neutral. So in reality, they're not going to be able to reduce their carbon emissions. They can try. So what they're going to have to do is purchase carbon credits. And that is where the American farmer comes into play. He is sequestering, he or she is sequestering more carbon on their ground, developing a carbon credit that then Indigo purchases from them and sells them to companies that want to offset their carbon emissions through the purchasing of carbon credits. Okay, wow. This is really great information. You are extremely knowledgeable on this topic, I can clearly tell. What other information do you think is valuable for listeners to know about carbon credits, carbon credit programs, anything like that in general? Yeah, so if you're thinking about enrolling into a carbon credit program, you can for sure contact me or your New Century FS crop specialist. We have a lot of knowledge in this area, and we're working to make growers understand the program because it is very confusing. A lot of people don't understand it. They're very apprehensive about it because it's so new. Mm -hmm. So if you have any questions, if you're interested in, it, interested in incorporating it in your own farm, you can for sure get a hold of us. My personal number is 515-238-7752. And my work email that you can get a hold of me at any time is sdudley, D-U-D-L-E-Y, at newcenturyfs.com. And a big thing to think about right now is the carbon market is expected to increase in the future. So last year's price for a carbon credit was $40 per ton, and the 2023 price has not came out yet by Indigo, So and it's expected to increase at a steady rate 
in the future because this is such a new new idea and a lot of companies are wanting to become carbon neutral so the demand is greatly increasing awesome and then i have one more question on top of that what successes have you seen with carbon credits and farmers implementing it so far throughout your time at fs that's a great question so this program just started at new century this year and i'm kind of piloting this program here and so far we've gotten several growers to sign up for the program and these growers were already planning on adding a cover crop or in doing no-till reduced till and the successes that we've seen are growers really enjoying that they're going to get a little extra money on top of something they were already going to do why not enroll in this program it's super easy to enroll it doesn't take a lot of time all you need to do is provide us with field boundaries and then I'll map them in the program. And then all we do is sit down for a couple hours and insert your historical data, and that's it. It's as easy as that to get in the program. And then you get paid over a time of five years, but you can get out at any time with this contract. You're not stuck in this carbon credit program like you are with some other companies where they make you stay for that five, 10 year period. With this program offered with New Century and Indigo Ag, a grower can decide to enroll in this program today, decide, you know, I don't really like that. I'm gonna get out tomorrow. You can go into the website, hit unenroll. So it's very versatile for growers to be able to take control of what they wanna do and they're not locked in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this information, Sarah. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure many of our listeners have gained a lot from it, too. Thank you. Certainly a topic that gets discussed a lot in agriculture, especially uh, using a lot of the buzzwords. So it's good to always try to keep our finger on the latest available for our listeners. Yeah. And I think this is a good conversation because for me, you know, right away, Sarah mentioned this has to be a new practice to receive carbon credits. It can't be something you're already doing. And I think that was a big area of confusion for a lot of producers who were saying, hey, I'm already doing these practices. Why am I not getting rewarded for them? Correct. Yeah, we've come across that in a lot of our conversations, the rule of additionality, which hopefully gets modified in the future. I know there's a lot lobbying to get that updated but nonetheless a great conversation for tuesday listeners stick around follow us on social media and we will bring you another show tomorrow what do you say delaney for today should we let the listeners go let's let them go